probably heard me say before that I don't watch too much news. I'm not sure uh, what I can really believe is the truth anymore, depending on who's reporting it. But I I did see a clip the other day of, of someone in the midst of all of the controversies going on who made the claim publicly that he would like to punch certain people in the face. And I just thought to myself, is that really where we're at in our world today? Are people so angry and bitter that they literally publicly say they'd like to pummel others? They just like to punch them in the face? I don't think that we're strangers to, to what's going on in our world that some have called the age of outrage. This, this bitterness, this resentment, these grudges that people seem to hold on to forever. And as Christians, we're not strangers to those things either. And so tonight we want to just address how that bitterness kind of creeps its way into our hearts and, and how it is that we can get rid of that joy stealer and get back the joy that God wants us to have. So I want you to try something tonight. Uh, there's only a few people in the far section over there. So I'm going to divide you into three sections. This is section one over here. This is, actually I'll lump you guys. Nope, section one there. This is section two right here. And you guys are all section three over here, okay? Here's your assignment. I'm going to put on the board six quotes about bitterness. And what I'd like you to do is just take two of them. So section one, you're going to take one and two. You guys get three and four. You guys over there get five and six. I want you just to discuss them. Just the two that you get. So five and six, three and four, one and two. Just discuss them with each other. And then I'm just going to take some thoughts that you might have about those quotes about bitterness. Go ahead. I'll give you about two minutes to do that. Okay, let's go to group one here. Numbers one and two. Bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die, or no matter how long you nurse a grudge, it won't get better. Thoughts that you discussed? Anything you just want to share with the group? Anything striking about those quotes? Nothing. You agree with them for the most part? Okay. Good. Group one, well done. Thanks for making me feel better. All right, group two, bitterness and resentment only hurt one person. It's not the person we're resenting, it's us. And bitterness is how we punish ourselves for other people's sins. Thoughts about that, that your group had? Okay, maybe, right? If you, but, but yeah, I see what you're saying, Art. But, but I think generally the point of both of those statements is that that anger really usually hurts the person who's angry more than it hurts the person you're angry with, right? Okay, how about five and six? This group over here, any thoughts about fighting bitterness can be a full-time job and you can't be bitter and expect your life to be sweet? Jacob. Okay. The bitterness gives you less time to focus on God's blessings, which robs you of the sweetness of life or joy. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, there's a lot of good quotes out there about bitterness and how difficult it is to handle. And, And I think as I looked at this list, I thought, this is nothing new. Even though we live in an age where it seems like people are more bitter and more resentful and holding more grudges, it's always been this way since the fall into sin. And Paul proves it tonight in the verses that we have before us from Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 31 and 32. Paul's giving instructions to the Ephesians. Listen in to what he says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I love the book of Ephesians. It, it, it is one of those books, letters of the Apostle Paul that, that divides nicely into two distinct parts. So chapters 1 to 3 of this six-chapter book are all about Christ as the head of the church and everything that he's done to save us. And then in chapters 4 to 6, the second half of the book, the Apostle Paul talks about us as the body of Christ and how we respond to what Jesus has done to save us, how we live our Christian lives. Well, obviously the words that you just heard fall into the second half of that book. Right before the Apostle Paul gets into this whole section, which actually starts in verse 25, about anger and how to handle our anger, he just got done saying this, put off the old self with its sinful ways and put on the new self. You see, what Paul's trying to demonstrate to the Ephesians and to us is that there's really no reason for us to be bitter. We've been given this new part of us, this new self that embraces all that Christ has done for us. But here's the problem and here's the struggle. We can't get rid of the other part. I wish it was as easy as, as going home and, and peeling off the clothes that you wore for the day and, and just getting rid of them. But I think you know that's not how ridding ourselves of the sinful nature works. They're both there constantly. There's this constant struggle between the old self and the new self. And it's always difficult for letting the new self get the upper hand on the old self. That's where bitterness comes from. It's from that sinful part of us that, that wants to hold on to things, that wants to hold on to anger and grudges and bitterness and resentment. I might even submit to you that there's a part of us in that sinful nature that thinks holding on to anger is actually kind of fun. It's fun to have something against somebody else. It, it, it's rewarding to be able to think that somehow I'm better. I can feel smug and proud about myself when I can look at somebody else and say that they did that to make me angry or to make somebody else angry. You see, there's a part of us that actually sort of embraces bitterness and anger and resentment and grudges. My guess is that if you're really honest with yourself, you might be able to think about something that someone did to you weeks, months, or even years ago that you can bring back again and like feel that resentment and bitterness all over again? That's what holding grudges is about. Guess what? Satan loves that. He loves, loves it when we're holding on to bitterness and anger and resentment because it puts us in, I suppose you could say, a anger jail. That quote of that idea of us being the ones who are always affected, that you can't nurse your way out of a bitterness grudge. That's certainly a true statement. Here's some evidences of bitterness. See if, see if you can find any truth in some of these. Difficulty in, re, in, re, in resolving conflicts, acts of vengeance, withdrawal, outbursts of anger, subtle attacks, condescending communication, criticism, suspicion and distrust, hypersensitivity, I don't know if you see any of yourself on those things when, when bitterness is a part of your life. I think words become difficult. Not being condescending, not looking down on other people, not being critical. It's tough to do that when you're carrying grudges, when you have bitterness in your heart. 
don't we live in a world and, and aren't we subject to these things too of being overly sensitive? Like not assuming the best about somebody else, but instantly thinking the worst. Thinking that we're being attacked, that, that somehow things aren't going the way that we want them to and so we have a right to be bitter and angry? Is our bitterness sometimes with God? God, I would like my life to be a little bit different. Things could be better for me, God, if only this were true or that were true. And then we carry bitterness to the extent of blaming God for not bringing the happiness that we could have in this life. Writer to the Hebrews wrote these words, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitter roots grow into anger trees. And that's exactly what God wants us to avoid, to, to cause that kind of trouble. What God says to us is simply this, bitterness leads us to fall short of God's grace. But there's a solution. Maybe you heard it in the text that I read before. Get rid of bitterness and all the other things that the Apostle Paul listed there. And then he goes on to say this, be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. That's the solution. I want to talk about the three words that the Apostle Paul uses in verse 32 when he writes, be kind, be compassionate, and forgive one another. There, it's a pretty cool exchange that the Apostle Paul has with the Philippians. The first word for kindness in the original Greek is krestus. It's not the same word as Christus, which means Christ. There's just one letter difference. But in Greek, they're pronounced almost exactly the same. And so when you talk about kindness, isn't it fair to say that the ultimate example of what it means to be kind, what it means to live for other people, what it means to put other people first is found in Jesus himself? The second word that the Apostle Paul leads that, 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 uh, uses that, that talks about compassion really has this idea of being tender-hearted. And I want to take it one step further because while we may not understand it because we don't talk this way, it's the way the Greek culture was. They felt that all of their emotions were located in their guts, in their bowels. And so this word in the original Greek, oisplantna, is good bowels, having good ideas in your bowels, good feelings in your gut. Okay, we would say in our hearts probably, but really what the word means is tender-boweled. Yeah, it sounds kind of weird, right? But think of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. It's all about being caring, about being compassionate, about having empathy for other people. Again, looking to others before you look to yourself. And that's the third word, to be forgiving. In the Greek, there's, there's two specific words for forgiveness. And the one that, the, that Paul uses here is the idea of forgiving before the person ever comes to you to ask for it. It's the idea of offering forgiveness or being willing to forgive no matter what the other person has said or done. You can probably guess that it's a word that's often used when God is the one who's doing the forgiving because that's exactly how God forgives. And it's how we avoid bitterness. Did you notice the pattern? It's so easy to say, so difficult to do. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God 
forgave you. I know how bitter I can be about certain things in this life and how joyful it is to know that when Jesus went to the cross, he took my sins of bitterness and anger and resentment and the grudges that I hold, he took those with him. And it wasn't just mine, it's yours too. They're already forgiven on the cross of Christ. You know that they're gone forever because Jesus paid for those sins on his cross. See, we don't have to hold on to grudges. We don't have to live with bitterness and resentment because we can put it all in God's hands. God's got it. He knows exactly what you need and what you're going through. It's God's love. It's God's forgiveness that smashes, smashes our bitterness and our resentment as he reminds us of the love that he has for us in Christ. You see, what God wants for you more than anything is to get you out, to get you out of that anger jail that Satan would love to have you in so that you can again experience the joy of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus and then offer that joy and forgiveness to others. I'm kind of in trivia mode. We went to a trivia night last night. So does anybody know who this guy is on the screen? Do you? Yes, it's John Rockefeller. Very good. The oil magnate who founded the Standard Oil Company. There's a story in a book by Dale Galloway that he says, You Can Win With Love. That's the name of the book. And he tells the story about Rockefeller, who, who apparently by all accounts was a pretty, a pretty stern man. He was pretty hard to work for because he expected a lot of his employees, although he was very fair. And he tells a story in, in that book that uh, one day one of the executives that worked for Rockefeller, made a mistake. And it wasn't just any mistake. This happened in the early 1900s. It was a mistake that cost Rockefeller's business over $2 million. I don't know what that would be in today's terms, but obviously that's no small amount of money. Can you imagine what it would have been like for not just that executive, but for the others to kind of walk around knowing that their boss, who was a pretty stern man, uh, was going to find out of this error. They're kind of walking around on eggshells and, and unfortunately for one of those executives, he had an appointment scheduled that afternoon with Rockefeller, with the boss. He couldn't really get out of it. So he walked into the appointment just expecting to take the brunt of Rockefeller's anger and when he walked into the office, he saw him writing on a piece of paper. He didn't say much and then looked up and said, I guess you heard about our friend who made the $2 million mistake, right? Yeah, the other executive said. He said, well, I've been writing on this piece of paper all the good qualities that I could think about concerning that employee. And I think I've come to realize that he's probably made our company a lot more money than what he just lost us today. So I think we should forgive him. What do you think? The other executive was floored. It was the last thing he expected Rockefeller to say. And it took a pretty, pretty big person, didn't it, to just swallow a loss of that magnitude and say, it's okay, we're going to move on, we're going to forgive. Doesn't that put even a little bit into perspective how much bigger our God is? Who canceled your debt, my debt of sin, that huge debt that's gone forever because it's paid for on the cross by Jesus? That's the God that we worship. That's the God who shares his love with us every single day in his word. That's the God who wants us to have joy and not bitterness in knowing 
that that forgiveness has paved the way to an eternal life with us forever in heaven with our Savior. A couple takeaways from our devotion tonight. Number one, recognize that Satan wants to steal our joy by keeping us bitter and angry. I heard a pastor once describe it this way. He said, if you want to take that picture of, of the Greeks who have uh, all of this stuff in their guts, right? They, there's like a balloon, I suppose you could say, of emotion that each of us carries around. And when anger fills that balloon, there isn't a whole lot of room for anything else. But when the anger goes away, that's when love and compassion and forgiveness take its place. Number two, we look to Jesus for the joy of forgiveness and find joy in kindness and forgiveness for others. It's when that forgiveness of God comes to us that we can let go of bitterness and then share that love of Jesus with others. All right, it's been a good week. Maybe you haven't even noticed, but coffee is back at chapel. Yep, coffee and tea. You can come anytime and make coffee and tea and drink it till your heart's content. Did you know that? Okay, some of you maybe. Others of you are like, what? Coffee was gone? I didn't even know. All right, so I need, I need just a little bit of help t- this tonight. Um, how many out there are uh, my diehard coffee drinkers? I'll, let's start with this. Three cups a day for sure, coffee. Go ahead, raise your hand. Three. One to three. Who are my one to three cups of coffee a day? How many people say, yeah, I, I often drink coffee during the day, but I don't really need it. I can take it or leave it. Got some of those? How about never coffee drinkers? Who are my never coffee drinkers? Okay, that's me too. So I'm running a little bit of a risk with this next illustration since I'm not a coffee drinker. But I've been told that every once in a while, if you, if you don't brew a cup of coffee right or somebody else doesn't, it can have a really, really bitter taste. And maybe you can even add a little bit of creamer or sugar to try and make it better, but it's hard to make that bitterness go away. Most of the time, I'm guessing, when people get that bitter cup of coffee, the first thing you do after you can't make it any better is you dump it out, right? There's no sense drinking something that doesn't give you any enjoyment, doesn't help you. And I suppose that's a pretty good picture for what God wants us to do with our bitterness too. Because of what Christ has done, he wants us to dump that bitterness out, to let it go, to know and recognize what we already have in Jesus and the forgiveness that he's given to us. So when you feel bitterness, anger, resentment, grudges, when those things are coming back into your life, go back to your Savior. Go back to his cross. Remember what he's done there. Remember the forgiveness that you have. And then in that same forgiveness that Christ has for you and me, let go of your anger, bitterness, and forgive others. God promises you that will let go of the joy stealing that bitterness does and let God bring that joy back into your life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your constant message of love and forgiveness for us and the huge debt of sin that you have forgiven for each one of us. In the love that you have demonstrated to us first, let us forgive one another, Lord. Help us to get rid of the bitterness, the rage, the anger, all of the things that are so easy to harbor in our hearts and steal our joy and instead fill our hearts with your love and forgiveness so that that love and forgiveness can spill over into our lives as we share that love with others. Continue to guide and lead us. Bless our students as they uh, continue in the semester. Things are getting busier and work is getting tougher. We pray that you continue to strengthen them, Lord. 
Help them to see your hand of blessing in all things and give them the success that you know will be best for their futures and ultimately remind them that they have the greatest future of all, of life with you forever in heaven. The same life we all have waiting for us through our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.